This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Josh Kane, Assistant Metro Editor for the San Francisco Chronicle. Today on Fifth and Mission, I'll be joined by crime reporter Megan Cassidy, whose latest story takes a close look at a complex legal question that is pitting criminal defense attorneys against social media giants like Facebook and Twitter. Megan's new story focuses on a 30-year-old law the social media networks have cited in court when blocking the release of evidence that could help people avoid prison. We're also going to talk about the delicate balance of protecting people's personal privacy. Megan, thanks for joining me. Hi, thanks for having me. So, I'm a huge fan of your new story because I think it takes on so many interesting topics. Crime, big tech, social media, personal privacy, murder, immigration, terrorism. I mean, it's a local story that actually even talks about ISIS. Right. And also, you edited it, so you have to love it. <laughs> I was not going to start with that, but that is also one of the yes. things I like about this story. So your story begins with the case of a man named Omar Amin. Who is Omar Amin? Uh, Omar is a refugee living in Sacramento. He moved here in 2014. Uh, he's originally from Iraq. Uh, right now, he is going through an extradition case in Sacramento. He stands to be the first person in U.S. history to ever be extradited back to Iraq. Uh, what prosecutors and Iraqi officials say is that he actually was an ISIS commander um, when he was in Iraq and that he is uh, the person who fired the fatal bullet into a police officer there just before he moved to the U.S. That's a huge accusation. What are his defense attorneys saying about the charges against him? Uh, they're really pretty much just saying they're bogus. Uh, there is there there's mounds of evidence that he was not there at the time. He was actually 600 miles away uh, living as a refugee in Turkey um, for months before uh, the killing in Iraq. And so if he's in Turkey and 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 this police officer in Iraq is killed, you know, do the attorneys for Omar have evidence they think that could actually prove his innocence? Uh, they do. And that, that comes from a lot of places. Uh, there's Turkish documents. There's eyewitness evidence. Uh, there's really just like the logistics of it all. Getting back uh, would have to mean a drive through Syria. Uh, and then there is also, and what this story is about, there's evidence on a suspended Twitter account uh, that ISIS, some members of ISIS, have confessed to the murder. So basically, Somebody else confessed to the murder that Omar Amin is uh, accused of committing. And so there's this this evidence that's out there, you know, and, and you mentioned their Twitter. And, and I remember in the story, there's a link to a Facebook account. You know, what are what are Facebook and Twitter doing as far as giving this evidence over? Right. So the defense attorneys, you know, clearly want this information. Um, but. Facebook and Twitter's attorney, actually the same person, is citing what's known as the Stored Communications Act, uh, saying that these federal privacy laws are preventing them from releasing it to defense attorneys. Okay, so this 30-year-old law is being cited as a reason to not turn over the information. And this 
uh, man, Omar Amin, is facing not only extradition, but if he goes back, he could be facing a speedy trial in which very little evidence is presented and, and could even be executed. Yes. I, you know, that's mind blowing on its own right. But it sounds like there's more cases that are being affected by Facebook, Twitter and other social networks citing this law. Right. 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 So this is something that has um, increasingly become a problem um, for defense attorneys. So there are uh, in the Stored Communications Act, there are loopholes where prosecutors, police, they can get into somebody's private communications or let's say like disappearing Instagram stories or a suspended account and build cases, win convictions off of that. But there's really no such recourse for defense attorneys. And so even if it's something as obvious as somebody else confessing to the crime you're accused of, you're likely not going to be able to get that information. Yeah, not unless uh, a prosecutor you know, obtains the evidence and then it's like, well, this is exculpatory. So we would have to turn this over. It's it's kind of like you talked about an, an old legal dispute where it's kind of an imbalance of what prosecutors can get as far as evidence and obtaining and what defense attorneys can get. Exactly. And so when that happens, you know, what are some other what are some other examples of this uh, when it, Facebook and Twitter blocking the release of records? So there was a big case out of uh, San Francisco, actually, involving a man named Lee Sullivan. Um, he was accused in a he was accused of murder in a drive by shooting in 2013. Uh, there were two shooters that were seen in a video. One person has already admitted to pulling uh, one of the triggers. And but really, the only person that placed him in that car was an ex-girlfriend. So defense attorneys wanted to get into her private messages, see if maybe she had some reasons for wanting to place her ex-boyfriend at the scene, test her credibility. And in a pretty surprise move, a judge um, agreed with the defense attorneys and ordered Facebook and Twitter uh, to turn over this information. And what did uh, Facebook and Twitter do? They did not do it. Uh, they they took the case. Uh, they they appealed it. Uh, they It was in legal legal limbo for years. Uh, eventually, um, the California Supreme Court essentially let the trial court's order stand. They still wouldn't turn it over. So this is five years later. And uh, they uh, were eventually found in contempt of court by a San Francisco judge. Okay. So a judge says, enough's enough. My ruling stands. Facebook and Twitter release the records. They still refuse. What's the penalty for that action? Yeah, it was $1,000 a piece. $1,000, fine. Yeah, and, that w- and that was the maximum penalty that the judge could uh, could impose by law. I think Facebook and Twitter could probably afford that, no? They can, they can. Uh, just, uh, just before this, uh, Facebook was actually fined uh, $5 billion. So, you know, this uh, this type of penalty is really just laughable and I'm sure extremely frustrating for uh, for defense attorneys. Wow. This is really fascinating. There's there's so many more questions and, 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 and different details to the story I want to talk to you about. But uh, for now, let's take a quick break and we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. 
Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. So Megan, we're talking about Facebook and Twitter, and they're blocking the release of records that could help criminal defendants. What are some of the reasons they're giving? Oh, it's really pretty simple. Um, they're saying that the that federal law prevents them from doing this. They do not want to violate federal law, um, that these privacy protections are important. Um, and they have actually indicated in the Sullivan case that they are uh, willing to take it up to the U.S. Supreme Court. What they said is just really that the trial judge put them in an impossible position, either violate federal law or violate his order. All right. So catch 22. What are privacy experts saying about this issue? You know, they uh, the ones that I've talked to really don't have an easy solution either. Um, they say that they are sympathetic to the defense attorneys, um, but they also say that this is something that is uh, not just confined to social media. You know, throughout history, prosecutors and police have had um, a lot more reach to search for and seize documents than really defense attorneys do. Right. And now, though, in a new era where social media, we're always oversharing. We're giving up all this information when it comes to our location and how we have private conversations. You know, are there other people out there who have taken a stand on this issue either for or against Facebook and Twitter? Yeah, you know, there is actually um, a growing number of voices who are saying that these these uh, the stance that Facebook, Twitter and other social media companies have taken is just too unflinching, um, that there need to be more exceptions afforded to uh, to defendants. So, for instance, there are a, there's very private information that under certain circumstances, a judge can rule that defendants have access to. So that includes health records, um, psychiatric records. Um, and, and in one case, uh, the defendant that was seeking something from Facebook and Twitter actually got uh, the accuser's psychiatric records, but was not able to get their uh, social media records. Yeah, because what would be more personal than your uh, DMs than actually uh, your psychological history? Right. Um, One thing that I thought was really interesting that you touched on is when if these records are turned over, uh, they can obviously be beneficial. And there was one case in particular uh, of spoofing company. I'm right. not sure if everybody knows. Tell, tell us what a spoofing company is. Yeah, yeah. So unfortunately, because of uh, of size limitations, I wasn't able to include this for the sto- in the story, but I just thought it was a fascinating anecdote. Um, so this was a case out of New York um, that, like Josh said, uh, shows how beneficial this can be. Um, so there was a a woman and a man going through a domestic dispute the woman had um, a restraining order against the man. She claimed that he violated it by calling her, harassing her. She provided to police uh, evidence from her phone that he had called her, which was against the uh, the orders. He claimed that he didn't. Um, and eventually the defense attorneys were able to uh, track down that she had signed up for an account on a phone spoofing company, which is a company that allows you to call 
different numbers by any number that you choose. Like if I wanted to use this company, then I could basically call your cell phone, but it would actually be coming from our producer, King Kaufman. Yes, you can do that. Which, King, just give it a rest, right? <laughs> but like, but no, I mean, I think it's just, it's kind of an ingenious way to make someone appear as if they violated a protective order. It is. And then another thing uh, that it does is you can opt into a feature where it actually records those phone calls. So defense attorneys were able to actually, in a rare case, uh, successfully subpoena for these records. They found that before all of these, quote unquote, harassing calls came into this woman, that she had dialed out to this phone spoofing company. And uh, and also they with the recordings, they just heard nothing. So, of course, it would be recording nothing because she was just calling herself. So uh, once this <laughs> evidence came out, prosecutors ended up dropping the case. Well, very good that she didn't berate herself while she's making yes. those phone calls. <laughs> you know, I think with this uh, story, there's so many different angles. And, and as journalists, we we have a real vision usually going into a story. Otherwise, the editor is going to be like, ah, I don't know. I, I don't really see what you're seeing. You know, was but often, though, once you're done reporting it, the story turns out much different. And is there anything in the reporting of this story that surprised you? Uh, yeah, you know, a lot of surprises came uh, with Omar Amin's case um, in particular. You know, just show just it, it shows just how dogmatic the companies are about following this privacy law to the extent that they've suspended these ISIS accounts themselves. And yet they are protecting the rights of ISIS over assisting someone who could be wrongly convicted of murder. Yeah, that was a great quote from uh, the attorney for Omar Amin, who said, I can understand if like this is an everyday citizen and we don't want to invade their privacy. But we're talking about ISIS here. Right. All right. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, and another thing that surprised me is just, you know, how little recourse the defendants have. You know, I'm used to going into a courtroom where the Judge is is the law of the land and people follow his or her orders. And um, just to see to what extent they are willing to litigate this issue, uh, you know, while somebody is waiting in jail for a trial, uh, that was that was very surprising. Yeah, that it, it's shocking and, and to some extent infuriating that someone could be so willfully uh, disregarding a court order while someone sits in jail. And it's presumed innocent still. I mean, that's the thing that we have to remember is that these people are still given the benefit of the doubt. So uh, circling back, what's going to happen next in Omar Amin's case? So, yeah, defense attorneys um, are they've pretty much given up. um, Not pretty much. Defense defense attorneys have given up trying to work with Facebook and Twitter. Uh, They are, you know, circling the globe, trying to get access to other information um, it was an unwinnable fight. Um, they are now filing the last of their uh, documents by the end of the month. Um, a federal judge will then decide whether there's probable cause to extradite. And then the final decision is in the hands of uh, the U.S. Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. Wow. So, yeah, there's a lot to watch out for in the case in the next coming weeks. Well, Megan, thank you so much for uh, telling us this story and uh, allowing me to work with you on it. I definitely enjoyed uh, getting to know about this topic, which I had no idea about before you started reporting. And uh, to our producers, King Kaufman and Karen Creighton, thank you. Uh, Very much appreciate being on here. And and Megan, uh, great job. Thanks.
Thanks for having me. And to all of you, thank you very much for listening. To read more of these stories, go to sfchronicle.com. Fifth and Mission is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. If you like this podcast, please consider becoming a financial supporter of the largest newsroom in Northern California. You can sign up for a San Francisco Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod.